Hey, amen. I trust that you can say that you know you're saved. Uh, it's, it's been a good week of ministry here. Uh, the Lord's providing for Calvary uh, an opportunity for the school, which I won't share, but uh, just to encourage your heart, the Lord looks like he's providing teachers for the school, so that, that's a blessing. And then on um, Thursday, um, I had an opportunity to uh, share the gospel with a man in the community, uh, take, uh, was working together with him, and then I had an opportunity for about 30 minutes just to go through the gospel, and his reaction was, that is beautiful. I've never heard that before. Hey, the gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful, is it not? And so uh, live every day for the honor and the glory of the Lord. Uh, this morning, we had a, a good time in Sunday school. We learned about King Nebuchadnezzar uh, in Daniel chapter 4, having his dream of this great big huge tree that is cut down, and he didn't know what the interpretation of that dream was, and Daniel said, Oh, king, it's for those who hate you and for your enemies. Uh, you're going to be humbled until you come to know that the Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men. And uh, seven times will pass over you, and you will eat grass uh, like an ox, and your hair will grow long like eagle's feathers, and your fingernails will, will grow long like eagle's claws, until you know that the Most High rules in the affairs of men. Hey, listen, I'm just going to make a comment. I'm not commenting about human sexuality. I'm commenting about a human condition called pride. Pride is the worst thing that we can promote as a society. It's the original sin that caused Lucifer to fall from heaven. It's the original sin that caused Adam and Eve to uh, fall into sin in the garden and the pride of life. It is the sin that brought Nebuchadnezzar low, and God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so for every human being that's in this room today, that's listening online, that's in our Hollister community, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. And so you have to humble yourself. We cannot live in pride. So that's just a free sermon. Um, let's go ahead and take our Bibles now and open up to the book of Philippians. And uh, today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. Philippians 2, verses 25 through 30. All right, do you hear the crows outside? I, I can hear them. You know what you call a group of crows together? That's what a group is, right? You call it a what? Murder. A murder. You know what you call a group of monkeys together? A congress. <laughs> and, and that's the truth, all right? So, but what do you call a group of people who come together on Sunday morning? A church, amen? So let's uh, now have our scripture reading here. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him only, but upon me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, 
that when you see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply the lack of your service towards me. So if you're not familiar with what we're going through here on Sunday morning, uh, just very quickly, uh, the theme that we're looking at in the book of Philippians is going further in the joy of faith. We see this in our text today, uh, in this person called Epaphroditus. Uh, the church in Philippi sent him to Rome to minister to Paul's needs, and uh, he became very ill, almost died as he was there in Rome ministering to Paul. But Paul sends him back to the church at Philippi, probably with the letter that we're reading and teaching from here today. And he tells them, I want you to rejoice. And I want you to rejoice in men like him. And so there was an advance in the faith in that time and that a local church sent one of their own as their short-term missionary to help Paul. And then Paul sent him back and told the people in Philippi, rejoice over men like Epaphroditus. Uh, he's a, a very charming Christian. So they went further together in the joy of their faith. And so that's the theme. And so uh, the proposition for the whole series is it would come out of this book, Rejoicing. Uh, as Christians. You know, I, I think sometimes that we as Christians, we walk around with a sour face. Uh, we ought to be smiling, happy, joyful people because of what Jesus Christ has done in our heart. Even when circumstances seem to work against us, we can rejoice always. Now, in today's message, we want to rejoice in servant-minded men and hold them in esteem. And that's uh, a direct statement here uh, from verse 28. So if you'd look at that again with me, um, actually verse 29, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. And so take this kind of man, these kind of people, and hold them in esteem, in reputation. So Paul was willing to sacrifice himself uh, for the service at the Church of Philippi, and warmly commended his co-workers. You know the wonderful thing about a church? We're all in this together, amen? And so this is a time to rally, to uh, join hearts, and to get God's work done. And so he's willing to do this, and so he, he mentions and, and commends Timothy and Epaphroditus for their humble and their sacrificial service. Uh, he offered an explanation uh, why Epaphroditus was returning, and that was because uh, he was sick, but he also wanted, Paul wanted to send him back to communicate to the church that they had been a blessing to him um, and that his needs were met. And uh, he didn't want the church to think that Epaphroditus had failed in his mission for what they had sent him out. And uh, this was almost a fatal illness, but he commends Epaphroditus for risking his life in Christian service. Just a, a point of observation. 
do with this what you will, but um, I've been in the ministry now for 26 years as a pastor, and I've seen a lot of Christians that are not willing to hazard their life for Jesus. And many times, parents hinder the zeal of their children and teach them to be complacent Christians and not to risk it for Jesus. Their children will have an opportunity to go to a foreign field. And they'll say, oh, no, you're not sending my child to that. No, 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 no. They're not going to that foreign country. That's dangerous. Folks, it's dangerous to live in the United States. It's dangerous to live in Hollister. Safety is of the Lord. So don't keep your children back because of your fears. And so we're going to see that it takes great faith to risk your life for Jesus. And so Paul is explaining that uh, this man, Epaphroditus, that he had taken a great risk to come from Philippi to Rome to minister to his needs. Now, it's very interesting. Um, his name, Epaphroditus, is the masculine form of the feminine goddess Aphrodite, um, which is named after the planet Venus. But it just means charming. And so in our passage today, we're really giving the kind of the title to the message, Epaphroditus, a charming Christian. We get that from his name, um, that he was a, a, a charming man, not, not just because of his name, because of what he did for the Lord. And any man, any woman that gives their life to the Lord, in a certain sense, is a charming Christian. And so Paul wants to encourage this. So let's look here and see what we have here. Uh, our first point today is this, is that we rejoice in servant-minded men um, and hold them in esteem for their balance. You're going to say, okay, well, I'm not sure that I see that. All right, so let's look here at verse 25. <clears throat> Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger that he ministered to my wants. Now, there's a lot of epitaphs in here. Do you see the three of them? Can you point them out? Can you find them in the verse? How is Epaphroditus described? As a, as a brother, what else? Fellow worker and as a soldier. So there was a common sympathy or a common cause that Epaphroditus had with Paul, and that's the advance of the gospel, going further in the joy of faith. There's a, a common work that needed to be done, not only in the city of Philippi, but also in Rome. Uh, and as Chester was reading the missionary letter today, uh, Brother Gibbons and, and Danielle and the children, they are here what we would call fellow workers, and they're in London. And there's a great cause there. And then he calls him a fellow soldier. And there's a common danger. Um, did you know that it's a common danger just to be a Christian? All that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. And so many times as Christians, we think that when we get saved, life is supposed to be a dozen roses that have been dethorned. Okay? No, I'm sorry, that's not the way it works. 
Just because you've become a Christian doesn't exempt you from trials. In fact, the promise is that God will be with you through trials. And if you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see the common risk that is there. Now, are you aware that we support uh, Southeast India Baptist Bible College in India, Bangalore, India? And Dr. Cherian uh, has a Bible college of hundreds, and they send out hundreds of pastors every year from their college. And from India, they go north into the Istan countries. And many of their graduates never come back because they're willing to risk their lives for the Lord. They don't have to leave India to do that. India is a dangerous place to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christians have been beaten to death. Churches have been burned. Pastors have been beaten. Uh, property has been confiscated. So there's always a risk in, in serving the Lord. Now, there's one other thing that he mentions here. Um, so this is how Paul views him as a brother, as a worker, as a fellow soldier. But then he also mentions that he is a messenger. Um, this is the Greek word apostolon, which we get our English word apostle or messenger. One who is sent with a commission. So think about it. What city did he come from and what city is he in when Paul is writing this? Well, he came from Philippi. He was sent, he was commissioned by the church in Philippi to go to Rome and to minister to Paul's needs and to help Paul in his ministry. It should be a goal for every New Testament church to send its own people into missions. Do you remember when Brother Gibbons was here a few months ago, he showed us that infographic that had the four stages uh, that, that a church goes through? And there's the, the, the first part of the diamond was, was sharing the gospel one-on-one, -on -one, and the second part of it was discipling one-on-one. -on -one. The third part of it was training people to do gospel ministry and service. And then the fourth part of it was releasing them as a new Christian, as a new servant missionary to go forward. And see, that, that's the completion of the cycle. Jesus did it this way. He said to the disciples, just come and see what I do. And then he gave them the awesome privilege of handing out baskets of bread and fish. He said, why don't you just help me? But then Jesus said, now I send you into every village that I'm about to go myself. And they came back and gave a report. And so they did it with his supervision. And then finally Jesus said, I'm ascending to my Father, go ye into all the world. And so the apostles are just following uh, what the Lord taught them, and we need to follow what the Lord taught us. And so you need to become a church that trains its new Christians, that disciples its new Christians, and gets them to that point of maturity where then they can be released to go and to serve. And that's exactly what the church in Philippi did. And Epaphroditus 
in a certain sense, is, is called an apostle. Now, not in the sense that God appointed him to office, but an apostle in the sense that he was a sent one with a message. And he had reached a certain point of spiritual maturity where he could go on a missions trip. So he was a short-term missionary. Now, I, I said that here, the first point, that we need to rejoice in these kind of servant-minded men because of their balance. And, and that's very important in the Christian life. Um, sometimes we emphasize fellowship so much that we never do outreach. We forget the furtherance of the gospel, such as the theme is the advance of the joy of faith. Others are so involved, involved in defending the faith of the gospel that they neglect the building of fellowship with other believers. Um, do you remember when Nehemiah uh, went around the walls of Jerusalem and he took a survey of what needed to be done? And as they started building it, then the opposition came to them and Nehemiah basically told the workers this, with one hand, you work with the trowel, and the other hand, you work with the sword. You're going to be ready at a moment's notice, but you have to do both. That's the balance, okay? And so Epaphroditus is not just content to stay in his own church. He's, he's willing to, to go out with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He, he's willing to advance this, and so he, he's got that, that balance. And so he didn't fall into either one of the traps. He was uh, exactly like what Nehemiah wanted the people to be. And so you cannot build with just a sword, and you cannot battle with just a trowel. It takes both to get the Lord's work accomplished. And so he's a brother. Um, you know, this is the, the family of God. When my brother calls me from Tennessee, uh, he's very casual, and uh, he uses some slang, and he says, how's my brother from the same mother? All right, that's how he greets me, and so sometimes I greet him like that. Um, but the, the point there is the, the common bond that we have as brothers, and, it, and it's strong. But why don't you look around the room today? Do you see someone of a different gender that's your brother or your sister in the Lord? Do you see someone of a different social economic bracket than you? Do you see someone from a different ethnic bracket than you? Do you see someone with a different educational or an occupational background than you? But yet you can look at one another and say, hey, you're my brother. Uh, there's a brotherhood. There's a sisterhood. There's a family. Uh, I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. Amen? And so we need to, to really emphasize the fact that we are family. And so let me just encourage you. As you go forward, in a few months, you're going to realize how much you depend on the family of God. Be there for one another, amen? All right, come on, let's, let's be enthusiastic about that. Are you going to be here, amen? You're going to be there because you're part of a family. You're the family of God, and so I want to emphasize that today. A companion in labor. Hey, you know what? 
some of you are going to need to step up and you're going to need to be called a co-laborer. You need to do these things now. I mean, even today you need to make the decision. You need to do them because they're right. It's because that's God's ordained plan for your life. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. Look, folks, you're missing out on part of your Christian development if you're not a fellow servant. So some of you are going to have an opportunity to step up and become a fellow servant. Um, then that fellow soldier, uh, he describes as the one who ministered. So I, I think as we, we come to the end of verse 25, and he that ministered to my needs, Paul is saying this, hey, look, you sent me a gift. And it encouraged me. But better than the gift is the one you sent. The two of them together were an unbeatable combination. Are you that kind of Christian that your presence will encourage your brother and sister in the Lord? And you come with your spiritual gifts to minister to them, but better than being ministered to it is the fact that there's that other believer there. And what I, I find is a great joy as a pastor is when I go visit people in a nursing home or a care facility or at their lowest, when you know they can't do anything, like Parnina, who was 95 years old, and she was bedridden in a care facility, and she asked the care facility to uh, call a Baptist pastor in the community and so I get a phone call, and I said, sure, I'll be glad to, to see her and, and to pray with her. And so as I walk into the room, she's all discouraged and dejected, and she says, why is God allowing me to languish here in this bed? I want to serve him, but I can't. So, Pastor, can't I just go home to heaven? Why is God leaving me here? And then she went on to tell me the story that she had started two churches out of the garage of her home. And she just was so excited about that. But then she said, but I'm stuck here, so what do I do? And I just looked at her and I said, Parnina, I see you're in a room that has another occupant. I said, God's not done with you. You still have ministry. Why don't you pray for your bedmate over here to come to know the Lord? Oh, but I don't like her. She's mean. Well... <laughs> That's why she needs prayer. <laughs> okay? And uh, you know what? Parnina's roommate did come to know Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she became a valuable part of our church. So in a certain sense, she was still very much an active minister for the Lord. And just the joy of when I was there, then seeing her change. Her demeanor changed. Hey, I do have a purpose in life. God has something for me. And then that blessed my heart. And, and so not only the opportunity to go down and to be of service, but then as a pastor to receive the blessing, to see this other person encouraged, and to know that they still had something that they could do for the Lord. And so, yes, Paul uh, was saying, look, the, the gift and, and, and the one you sent it with, what an unbeatable combination. 
And so balance is this very important thing in the Christian life. And so, yes, you need the fellowship, but you also need to advance in the gospel. Yes, you need to worship, but you need to disciple. Yes, you need to support missionaries, but you need to be a missionary right here in Hollister. There's a balance in that. All right, here's the second one. Rejoice in servant-minded men and hold them in esteem for their burden. Look at verse 26. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Um, he was a burdened Christian, Epaphroditus was. He had a burden on his heart. Um, he was sent from the city of Philippi to Rome to minister to Paul, so that was a burden. But then when he got sick, he was burdened. Not for his own physical conditions, but the fact that he was a burden or felt like he was a burden to the church in Philippi. Hey, they sent me on this mission, and here I get sick, and I probably can't fulfill my mission. And uh, so he was burdened not for his own sake, but he was burdened for his local church that had sent him to do this ministry. And so uh, in the revised version, it uses the word that he was sore troubled. You know, this was used one other time in the New Testament and only one other time. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, it's used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did Jesus have a burden? It wasn't just his own. It was your burden that you would come to salvation in Christ. Hey, listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is the day that you need to be saved. This is the day of salvation. And so that's our burden, is for your benefit. This is why we exist is to bear the burden in our heart for others, not our own burden. And so like Timothy, Epaphroditus was concerned about others. He was concerned about Paul. And when he had heard in Philippi that Paul was a prisoner in Rome, he volunteered to make that long journey, that dangerous trip, to stand at Paul's side and to assist him. He carried the church's love offering with him, uh, protecting it with his own life. Epaphroditus was not burdened about himself. He was burdened over people in Philippi because they were worried about him. And so like Christ, Epaphroditus knew the meaning of sacrifice and service. Um, these are the two marks of a submissive mind. Let's look at verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. I wouldn't be in gospel ministry if I didn't have a burden and a passion for the work of Jesus. There's a fire in my soul for sharing, sharing Jesus with people. And I was so glad I had that opportunity this week. Where's the fire in your gut? What's it for? What passion drives you? Epaphroditus was a charming Christian because he had that fire in his gut for Jesus. And he was willing to risk it for Christ. Hey, listen, Travel in the ancient world was not jump on a 
convenient flight from Philippi to Rome, which would last for probably 35 to 40 minutes. It was a hazardous journey over treacherous waters. Those ships were not huge ocean, ocean sailing vessels like we have today, you know, uh, the Princess Cruise Line or something like that. No, 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 no. These things were open and waves could swamp them at any moment. And so there, then there were pirates all along the, the coast. And so there was all kinds of a trouble that he could have gotten into. So he knew the meaning of sacrifice and service. And that's the submission, uh, the submissive mind to supply at the end of verse 30 your, your lack of service towards me. Epaphroditus represented the whole church. One person represented the whole church. And you can rejoice in servant-minded men and hold them in esteem because of their burdens. Now over the next few months, you're going to have a lot of different men come through the pulpit here at Calvary Baptist Church. They're going to have that fire in their gut for Jesus. And you can hold them in esteem. You can advance them in their gospel ministry. Sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, um, not because there's anything wrong in, with your own people or your own church, but sometimes it's just nice to get out of town and be able to preach in another place. It, it, it's refreshing sometimes. And so they'll have that opportunity. Uh, maybe there will be missionaries coming through. You'll be able to hold those missionaries in great esteem and support them and encourage them uh, because of their burden. Now, here, here's just a, a little rabbit trail for just a moment. Um, what happened to Epaphroditus physically? What's going on here? Oh, come on. He got sick. And he almost died. But who's he with? He's with Paul, an apostle. Why didn't the apostle Paul just say, Epaphroditus, I heal you in the name of Jesus? And just like that, he, he could have been over a sickness. Well, I, I think that's a, a very interesting thought for us to, to think about. But... Paul didn't possess healing or miracle-working power. He was just the, the vessel of God um, that God used. And so God didn't direct Paul in a sovereign way to exercise that power to heal Epaphroditus. And, and by the way, why didn't the apostles heal themselves so they didn't die? Think about that. So what I'm trying to, to drive at here today is there's a certain segment of Christianity that emphasizes miracles. And uh, it's just so wrong, right? The emphasis is in the wrong place. Now, I believe that God does miracles, but I don't believe that you can have these healing crusades, right? And go around and thousands of people are in wheelchairs or dying of cancer and they come up on a stage and bam, you know, no, that's not, no man possesses that. It's the sovereign work of God. I'll just tell you, that, and I've shared this story before, but Sister Shirley Weech was filled with cancer when she went to the doctor and received the news that she just had months to live. 
And she just came back to church and said, hey, church, pray for me. Would you start a prayer chain for me and pray for me um, 24 hours a day over the next few uh, days? And, and I'm going to start uh, radiation and, and chemotherapy, and let's just see what God can do. And a few months later, she came back, and the church continued to pray for her. She came back to the church and said, I'm cancer-free. And God gave her 15 more years of life when she only had just a few days. Hey, now that is God and his choosing to do so. But it wasn't my pastor who walked up and healed her, right? Um, and so just remember that God chose to allow Paphroditus to go through this burden. But the burden was not for himself. The burden was for the other believers. And so, yes, he was nigh unto death. Um, it literally means that death was his next-door neighbor. That's what the Greek is trying to communicate to us. And uh, alongside of, and so God spared Epaphroditus at the end of verse 27, lest Paul should have sorrow upon sorrow. And uh, this implies a kind of repeated motion, like wave after wave. Had an awesome opportunity yesterday to uh, hear the waves of the ocean. So relaxing, so beautiful. And just the repeated sound. But you know, sometimes in life, it's trouble and sorrow just comes wave after wave. We have a, a little saying in the English language, uh, when it rains, it pours. Okay, Just meaning when trouble comes, it seems to come in a bunch. So don't be surprised by that as a Christian. Right? If trouble comes, it might just come in a, in, a, in a whole big bucket all at the same time. right? But God's going to be with you. But God delivered Paul from having to experience the death of, of his brother. Hey, this man was so kind to leave Philippi and come and serve me. God, thank you that you didn't take his life because he risked it for me. Uh, I'm glad that I didn't have sorrow, but rather he has joy. All right, and then let's uh, close this out by looking here at the last uh, couple of verses, 28 through 30. Um, we need to uh, rejoice in servant-minded men and uh, hold them in esteem because of their blessing. So, I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice. So, let's rejoice in these kind of people that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness. There's that concept of, hey, joy, all right? And hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service to me. And so what a tragedy it would be if at the end of your life, you were never a blessing to another human being. Because life just isn't about you. Shouldn't be should be the fact that you want to be a blessing to other people as Epaphroditus was a blessing to Paul think about this um, Epaphroditus stood with Paul in his prison experience and and did not allow even his own sickness to hinder his service and so sometimes we, we get knocked down, but we get back up and we just keep on serving the Lord. Not only was he a blessing to Paul, but he was a blessing to his church. So Paul sends Epaphroditus back. 
to let the church know, hey, mission completed, job done. And that would cause the church to rejoice. And so Epaphroditus was a blessing not only to Paul, but to his church. Are you a blessing to your church? And when I say that, I'm not talking about the religious organization. I'm talking about the people. Are you investing in them? Are you touching their lives? Are you being a blessing to them? Are you, are you lifting their burdens as Epaphroditus lifted Paul's burdens? And so Christ gets the glory. Now, there's nothing wrong with every once in a while saying, job well done, all right? And I think that's what God is commending in inspired scripture. He's commending Epaphroditus eternally for the risk that he took. Think about that. This story is eternal story from this point forward. And God used that to commend, to motivate us to be like Epaphroditus. And so there's nothing wrong with the servant receiving honor. And we can find that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13, give honor to whom honor is due. But now they're to receive here in verse 29. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness. Uh, to receive here means to receive oneself, to give access to one's self. Um, facing one another. So here's what it means. Practically, here's the application. You have to give access to other people, to your life. That's what the Holy Spirit just inspired in this, in this scripture. Receive. Receive one another. Give access of yourself to other people. That's what God wants you to do. Um, the, the, the preposition that comes before this is facing the fellowship. So the exhortation that Paul is giving uh, to the Philippian church indicates that this distance between Philippi and Rome had, had caused um, a, a longing in their heart for their brother. So do you long for one another? Do you long for the, that Christian fellowship? Um, think about this. Paul is probably remembering the day that he first went to that city and preached the gospel. He's remembering how the Lord opened Lydia's heart. He probably has a longing in his heart for the jailer that got saved because Paul was in prison. And he's thinking of them in this way. So receive them. Um, hold them in such reputation. So for people that are willing to risk their lives, then think well of them, right? Um, do you realize the mentality of Eastern Christians about California Christians? It's true. I mean, it is so true. It's so stereotypical. You go back east and you say you're from California, and their first thought might be something like this. Oh, I thought you were a good Christian. Okay? Or, why would you want to live there? 
All right? So in a certain sense, they think it's a huge risk to live in California, right? Some of you think it's crazy that I'm going to Seattle to live in rain, you know? I might as well just walk around with a five-gallon bucket of water over my head, right? And, uh, well, hey, listen, God has called me to risk it in Washington, right? But you need to risk it in your life, whatever it is. Step out. Take that step of faith. Let God work through you. And so uh, we have another saying, no pain, no, no gain, all right? And so, look, without death to self in the Christian life, there's no eternal rewards. Folks, this, it's not easy to be a servant of the Lord. There's no easy way to be a servant. I'm sorry, but Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Nail yourself to a cross. What a motivational saying. <laughs> Risk it. All right? And so we come down to the end of this then. Uh, Epaphroditus sacrificed himself as an act of gracious humiliation, and God exalted him. Paul encouraged the church to hold Epaphroditus in honor to the glory of God. Now let's close it out in verse 30 and uh, look at the blessing. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. What a blessing when someone is so selfless to supply your lack of service to me. So Epaphroditus was able to be the servant of the church. He was that official representative um, but it's very interesting. Um, this is uh, the word that is used here, okay, uh, to supply your lack of service, the, the service. This is a very interesting word, and if you're in a trade, you're going to like this, okay? This is talking about a brotherhood, uh, a, a trade, and specifically in the day and age in which this was written, it was a brotherhood of people who risked their lives to nurse the sick and to bury the dead. Wow. Okay. So Epaphroditus had recklessly exposed his life. <laughs> Folks, I, I, I sometimes wonder, as Christians, if we recklessly live life. We should. But we're all about preventing risk in, in our culture. And that's not what Jesus wants from us. We have to expose ourselves to the risk for the sake of the gospel, for the work of the ministry, for the glory of God. And um, years ago, we had uh, our, one of our missionaries, uh, John Hutchinson, from Frontline Missions, come through. And uh, many of the missionaries that they would send into foreign countries, the Istan countries, would die but the gospel would advance and we say oh well that that's just stupid to put your life in danger not when there's a sovereign god who will repay you in a way you could never imagine whether you live or whether you die you remember shadrach meshach and abednego or as their hebrew names were hananiah mishael and azariah when you hear the sound of music bow down 
and they stood straight when the music started playing and they got brought in before King Nebuchadnezzar and he has smoke coming out of his ears. His eyes are just pulsing, right? Lightning and fire coming out of his hair. He said, how dare you defy me? I'm going to give you another chance when you hear the sound of the music. Bow down and worship the image that I've made. And if you don't, then it's to the fiery furnace you go. And they said, oh, king, we're not going to be careful to answer you in this matter. We will not bow down and worship the image that you have made. And if it's so that our God delivers us from our hand, But if he doesn't, we still will not obey you in this matter. Bind them up and throw them in the fire. I don't want to see them around here anymore. Run them up the stairs, drop them into the furnace. The soldiers that dropped them in, they dropped dead right there. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they fell into that fiery furnace. And the ropes burned off of them. And the Son of God was walking with them. And Nebuchadnezzar had the answer to his question. Who is going to be able to deliver you from my hand? And he calls them to come out of the fire. Folks, that was great risk to stand before the most powerful man in the world and say, I defy you because my God is worthy of glory and honor. Folks, we've got to start taking some risks. We've got to stand up. We've got to be salt. Sometimes salt stings. Now, we don't want to walk around with a nasty disposition about us, but we've got to be salt and light in our culture because it's dying and going to hell. Wake up, O oh church. Be a charming Christian like Epaphroditus and hold these kind of people in esteem. And this is what God is telling you um, to do, to rejoice in such men, to advance in the joy of faith. And so as these people risk their lives, they're making an advance, and that causes great joy in the church. Will you join these kind of people from this day forward? Make it the goal of your life. Risk it for Jesus.